Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Hello. Listen up. You there? You listening? You paying attention? If you're sick and tired of the commercials on the show, like the one I'm reading right now, I have some great news for you. For just $15 per month on our Patreon page, you can get the ultimate edition of this podcast, and it's entirely commercial-free. Here's what that means. The ultimate edition combines the free version of the podcast with the Shadow Docket show that we record after the end credits. Plus, we take out all the commercials just for you. That means you get the hour-long free show plus the 20-minute Shadow Docket show where all the real fun happens, and you get all of that without commercials in one convenient chunk for just $15 per month. That's bobseskashow.com or patreon.com slash bobseskashow, and now let the cartoons begin. The Bob Seska Show. Bob Seska! We could not talk or talk forever and still find things to not talk about. The Bob Seska Show! From our nation's capital, it is Wednesday, August 23, 2023, and this is the Bob Seska Interview on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Bob. Hello, Bob. Hi. Day 945 of the Biden-Harris administration, 439 days until the 24th presidential election. You can find me on threads and Instagram, the Bob Seska. Twitter is bobseska underscore go. Spoutable is just Bob Seska, and our Patreon page is bobseskashow.com. Okay, sometimes shit happens and our guest had to cancel in lieu of another gig. So this is going to be another interview replay. This time we're going to go back to February of this year when I had an epic conversation with the great Adam Richman. You might know Adam as the former host of Man vs. Food and the current host of The Food That Built America, along with Adam Eats the 80s and The Greatest of All Time. In addition to everything about Adam, we also talked about his relationship with Anthony Bourdain, our mutual love of Gettysburg, of course, the 180 Oyster Challenge. If you don't know what that is, stick around, and so much more. I remember having just a blast with Adam. So listen to this episode. Keep listening. Don't turn off your podcast player. You got it? Okay, meantime, think about supporting this fully independent podcast by subscribing to our Patreon page, bobseskashow.com. Okay, here's my talk with Adam Richman going back to February of 2023. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. 
Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. More fun, more music, the Bob Seska Show. It's almost like we all, God forbid, but we almost like need aliens to attack us. Yeah. We need yeah. to be attacked to galvanize us as a nation once again. But that'd because... be Joe Biden's fault, right? It's Joe Biden who welcomed the aliens in and embraced them instead of visiting East Palestine. And because they're all hammers and everything's then a nail. <laughs> Everything yes. has to be Plato factoried through that prism. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I just, I feel there's this profound disconnect and mm. I, I I wish there were like one voice, like, you know what I mean? Like in my mind, it's almost like idiocracy. Like, yeah. is it The Rock? Do we have to elect <laughs> The Rock? Is he someone that's universe? It's Paul Rudd? Uh-huh. Is, it, is it a joint Rudd-Rock ticket? <laughs> that we have to have you know what i mean like it has yeah. to be is it rud rock secretary of state corn kid <laughs> right you know what yeah. i mean kelly clarkson is 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 the mouthpiece of the house you know what i mean <laughs> god I, you know i wish it were that simple because the alternative is a lot more harrowing uh, at least on my worst day, Adam, uh, I kind of project forward and game it all out, as I'm sure you do, too. Some of the scenarios, some of the possible scenarios, you sit there and do the Doctor Strange thing and kind of look through yeah. all the different futures that we could face. And yeah. you go, holy shit, there's some awful stuff if cooler heads don't prevail in all of this. And it's so important. And I, I remember being in high school in the late 80s and talking with my friends on the school newspaper about how apathetic people were about politics. Why isn't there more political participation? Fast forward 10, 15 years, and then suddenly everyone's participating and it's no fun. <laughs> it's just, it's the worst kind of participation. It's one of those things where be careful what you wish for. But uh, how did you first become interested in politics? Was it something you talk around the dinner table with your family about, or did you pick it up later on? I guess, you know, um, my my dad, my mom and dad met in law school. My mom ultimately went into education. My dad yep. was an attorney, but these were like like really learned people. And um, my aunts who lived upstairs were had been teachers and both very bright. And there was a real emphasis on like reading in the house. And mm. if and obviously television is the dopest when you're a yeah, kid. Yeah. But 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 you know there were like there were only a finite number of shows were allowed and a finite number of hours were allowed. And the only thing during um, 
dinner time that was ever allowed was news. Eventually, that expanded to be news and Jeopardy, mm -hmm. but generally it was news. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it was it was local, local news in New York and rolling into it. And because New York being this political hotbed unto itself, and um, my best friend's late father being a state senator. Uh, I got to meet some of the players. Like when Mayor Koch came out with the book Mayor, I got it autographed at Don's fundraiser when Mayor Koch came. Oh, and nice. um, hmm. I met, you know, A. Beam and Alphonse D'Amato and then flash forward to high school. And I was um, – for several years, committee chairs at the citywide model Congress, eventually was president pro temp of the Senate mm -hmm. of the uh, citywide model Congress. And then helped run a committee at the, or was part of a committee at the Great Neck Model Congress, but really, really, really got, got, uh, got into it, got into dorky stuff like Robert's rules of order and, and, and loving the formality of it. And wow. yet, loving the <laughs> how to make friends and influence people thing and and really it and you know the thing is it's it's interesting because um in recent dealings within my life i've uh seen uh such underhanded and un, uh dubious dealings and, and nefarious dealings hmm. um in matters uh tangential to my own family and um and very this is very recent and and seeing people manipulate law manipulate situations and such and you know you realize that you know it's one of my favorite things and i admit i got it out of a textbook in high school <laughs> But ipsa, ipsa sienta potesta est, knowledge is power. And so then I just realized, like, if you don't know this system, especially in New York, you're going to get steamrolled by the system. Yeah. And because we had, like, everyone from Curtis Sliwa to Don Imus to the McNeil Lehrer News Report, but there was all this, all these, um, like, you know, political theorists and writers and hacks and yeah. pundits and stuff that as a kid, even you're like, okay, well, dad, th dad believes this. So I'm going to believe that. And the mom believes this. And then suddenly you get older and, you know, you're playing on a playground with kids with different skin color and different background of yours. And there's like New York, the same neighborhood in New York is a very different place for them. Yeah. Like I, I never, I mean, I never had to deal with stop and frisk. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I've been, like one time in Bell Harbor, a bunch of friends of mine and I, but Bell Harbor deposit <laughs> Rockaway. It's like a super <laughs> fancy ass neighborhood. Yeah. And they were like, well, Oh, you, you, know, you kids got the stick of sheep said bay on you. Get across the Marine park bridge, <laughs> get a cherry lime Ricky and don't come back. But we were like, generally speaking, you know, I'm a white Jewish kid. I hung out with, with uh, initially, you know, I went to yeshiva, I speak Hebrew with other kids that are maybe Syrian or Israeli, but generally speaking, they are, you know, they're, 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 they're lighter skinned. Yeah. And then, you know, but I lived in very different neighborhoods and yeah, then suddenly you go, huh, mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So maybe what grandpa says or what dad says or what mom says about a situation may not be accurate. And then when my mother worked in the public school system and seeing how the board of education was like what corruption within that and nepotism within that and mm-hmm. boondoggle politics within that. And that's like, and then I don't know. I just think, Everybody wants to like dismantle the system before they know what, how the system works. Yes. Like, what are you breaking down? And the funny thing is now with social media, I love that everybody transitioned from in 2016, everybody became a constitutional law scholar (laughs) and an election law scholar. And then then in late 2019, early 2020, we all transitioned into viral epidemiologists, and every single one of us were back to, div- you know, every every yeah. one of us were a virologist, bacterial bacterial epidemiologist, infectious disease specialist, and then okay, vaccines come out. Okay, suddenly now we're endocrinologists, and then we <laughs> transitioned back in 2020 into I don't know, like suddenly we're into CIA skullduggery and black hats. Like, yeah, yeah. Hacking. It's all, I don't know. I, I guess for me, I let that, that's the, my ex-girlfriend uh, was very into uh, politics as well. So I think mm-hmm. we would find these other podcasts uh, and we would listen to Cape up and I listen. So every day I listen I go, I listen to The Daily from the New York Times, mm-hmm. Up First with uh, Steve Inskeep, uh, the NPR one, and then I'll listen to, and obviously, like, I follow your social. It's how we connected. But, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, I, I NPR Politics, and it's crazy. A fraternity brother of mine from Emory University, and it was funny to hear my ex is from Japan and to hear her tell me, Oh, I listened to this podcast called The Gist with Mike Pesca. I'm like, wait, Mike Pesca. I'm like, <laughs> let me look it up. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was I was knowledge with Mike Pesca. I know him very right. I know him very, very well. He, yeah. yeah. I know. But uh so I and that's the other thing too. I I um I travel a lot and I usually always adhere to the Thanksgiving rules of no religion, no politics. Yeah, yeah. But should you find yourself stepping on that landmine, like, I don't know, like, don't get into a battle of wits with an unarmed opponent, but <laughs> don't be the unarmed opponent, right? Yeah, like, yeah. at least, at very least, there's a great scene. I'm trying to recall in broadcast news. Yes. William Hurt is the very handsome but somewhat vapid anchor. Albert Brooks is the profoundly smart but almost undone by his own hyperintellectualism and the fact that he's not as handsome as William Hurt. And mm-hmm. so he's like a field reporter, but never uh, a, a, an anchor. Yeah, and yeah. and he's talking about... Um, yeah, he's talking about... Uh, like he's challenging his intelligence. Mm-hmm. And he said, look, I got here on my own merit. He goes... 
you got here because you are personable and you look great when you read the news. <laughs> and he said, oh, really? You think I don't know anything? It's like, you're in D.C. and I don't think you know about politics. He said, can you name all the all? Yes. He's like, you can name all the, the, all the names of the cab, all the, the names of the members of the cabinet. Yeah. All 10, all 10. Even though they're fifteen, <laughs> it was a brilliant scene. Yes, and then he and then he lets it hang, and he goes, "You're feeling pretty good about yourself right now." I'm, yeah, like, I think I'm I am. starting to. <laughs> Start I'm starting to. to. <laughs> we got to get into uh, uh, man versus food, uh, the food that built America. All these shows, absolutely, I, man. Yeah, I mean, I have eleven billion questions about let's man versus it. food alone. So, but let's talk about the new shows first. I mean, you seem to have, I think there's what, a dozen new shows that you're working on right now. Let's start with the history channel has been a gem to me, right? Like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Gratitude is the attitude. Like I was a history channel watcher, Uh you know, back when the lion's share of the programming was, you know, SNL, SNL did a sketch. (laughs) They go, harden my Reich, Hitler's waiters. (laughs) Now on the History Channel or something like that. Oh my God, I love it. <laughs> pardon my right, pardon my right, waiters of the Weimar Republic. <laughs> now, but, no, like, go ahead. Oh, yeah. Which which show is happening on History Channel? Is that the Food That Built America? So I've been I've been with History now for four years. So. Yeah. I had one that started, we're recording this uh, now, like in the 20s of of the month of February, but yeah. just a couple of weeks ago, a show called The Greatest of All Time yeah. was, that's hosted by Peyton Manning mm-hmm. um, premiered. I'm part of that one. And that's essentially trying to ascertain just from a poll and, and experts and stuff, we try to vote on what is the goat of or who is the goat of inventions candy sports car stadia um uh, dynamic duos and by that i mean it the choices ranged from lennon mccartney cosell ali uh proctor gamble orville and wilbur wright um and so on uh woodward and bernstein so uh well, it's the goat of inventions. So then the one that just, just, just premiered on the 19th, and that one's on Sunday's 9-8 Central, is called The Food That Built America, and that's season four. Right. And that is by far one of, like, one of the best food shows I've seen, even if I weren't lucky enough to participate in it, mm-hmm. but arguably one of the most kick-ass experiences I've had doing a, a show, just because... There's just something like, and this has nothing to do with hubris. Like, if if you're a remotely intelligent person, and then you you enter a creative environment, and everyone wall to wall is so smart, yeah. so bright that the the producers and associate producers that are in the hallway and the person behind the camera, and everyone is so like operating. It's like it's like the blue. It's like uh, yeah. It's like Toronto when they had Ken Griffey and they had A Rod mm-hmm. and they had Buner and you know like they had this this stacked team. So I just um, 
So Food That Built America, for people that are listening that don't know, essentially is a combination of these really beautiful cinematic reenactments and expert sort of exposition and uh, background, uh, like sort of talking head stuff. That's what I do. And season one was about the big boys, like just profiling Mm -hmm. the people whose names are now over towns and stadiums and highways. So Hershey's, Kellogg's, Heinz, Coca-Cola, Reese's, McDonald's. Yep. Season two was about the big rivalries, Coke and Pepsi, um, Burger King and McDonald's, Campbell's and Heinz. And then eventually Pizza Hut and Domino's. Season three was where I really was like, wow, I'm truly lucky eight productions is who produces it. And, um, do do they do is, do they do all the uh, blank that built America shows? Because no, it's a whole no, they don't. Right? They don't. Okay. No, they don't. Uh, uh, and that's true. So earlier in the year, I had done uh, Toys That Built America. Right, right. And um, and that was the second season of that. And actually, coming up is uh, Rebels That Built America. And so the whole Rebels That Built America, uh, or the built, it's the Built America series, mm-hmm. began with the men that built America. And that was you know, with Carnegie and Rockefeller and Astor and J.P. Morgan. And and again, I think no show looked like that. And yeah. Campbell Scott, like I was a fan of his as an actor, mm-hmm. but his voiceover, it makes... It makes me seem smarter and cooler than I actually am. Like, <laughs> like Campbell Scott. Like, I, I've done four seasons, and it's so funny because I, I, I get a, I get a kick out of it. Mom takes pictures and she sends it to her friends. But if you look on the cable guide, it's this food that built America. It's like Campbell Scott, Adam Richmond, <laughs> and I. So it's like I want him to like record my outgoing message. It's just. He's talking about like pickles and Cheerios and stuff, and he's making it sound like the Rock of Gibraltar. He's the most like sexy ever. Oh, but yeah, Built America started with that. Then Leonardo DiCaprio uh, produced the Titans that built America. Mm-hmm. They did vehicles or machines, and what was cool was History Channel rebooted Modern Marvels, and it was a show I always watched, but they brought it back with a host and they let me host it. And uh, we did it in tandem with machines that built America. So for wow. example, there was an episode on Indian and Harley, and we got to film at the Yamaha factory in Noonan, Georgia. We oh. did a thing about John Deere and about DeWalt and Black and & Decker and Stanley and Snaptight and Milwaukee and all the amazing tool companies that quite literally built America. Yeah. And uh, and uh, we got to go to the DeWalt factory and, oh, my God, oh, my God, like my hairy-chested Y-chromosome tool boner. <laughs> and, you know, it killed me. Like so, I'm the dork who's I'm. A, I I really became a DIY guy recently. <laughs> uh, thank you, pandemic. And, yeah, right, uh, right, right. And uh, I had a dream drill, if that sounds stupid, but I have this like <laughs> drill. Like I didn't need it, but I always kind of wanted it because it was like 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 a, like a fifty cal Browning of a drill. Like you could yeah. like. You know, you could like pierce like the heart of dawn. <laughs> you could pierce <laughs> darkness with this thing. So I, and ironically enough, so they were shocked that I was such a fan. Mm-hmm. I really got on. I took pictures with everybody on the line and 
you know, it was just a really lovely time. And they were really very, very, very smart in terms of COVID safety because this was in the height of the pandemic. Yeah, and yeah. And they wanted to gift me my dream drill, but standards and practices uh, limits the value of any kind of gift I can receive apropos of the fact that um, legally it can't be perceived that we were paid to film at their establishment. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, and it killed me. So they called and they ran it up the like, you know, like low key. It's like, did y'all have to call? Like, I understand they're by the book and they were being smart, but Adam really wants like, this drill. Yeah, get get him. Like, y'all could have waited till the end and just met me in the parking lot and go, listen, <laughs> we know you really wanted this. And, yeah. I mean, whatever. I can't bitch. You know, I've been very blessed. So. My own damn drill, fat boy. <laughs> <laughs> what is it about the Built America series that's so appealing? I mean, outside of your participation, for, but from the inside looking out. That's a great, great, great question. Yeah, yeah, because I, I it's have... so addictive. I mean, every time we see another one of these series pop up in the Built America series, that's, it's that's immediate. Yeah, we got to land right on that thing because you know what it is. I think here's what it is, and it, it's, it's kind of like where I was before. I, I, you know, sometimes conversationally, I go New York to Los Angeles by way of Vancouver. So <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> I, uh, you know, so season three with with Food That Built America, and this is where I think the magic is. This is what I think the secret sauce is. You couldn't just each season go and here's another brand and here's another brand yeah. you need to contextualize them and so season three what they did was they kind of put parallels so it was like the rise and fall and kind of cautionary tale of wally amos and famous amos yeah. versus the unlikely rise and then meteoric super rise of debbie fields and mrs fields mm -hmm. and um and like those stories or blimpy and subway and these are two, you know, it's not just Subway Sandwich Wars, but how these things were done and how they would escalate and how there was this almost arms race yeah. and how the fact that Subway was founded by two scientists who decided to put together enough capital, not for one, but for two stores so that they could have a test and a control. Mm -hmm. So they would test a concept in one. If it worked, they'd move it over to the control and then they'd test again and then they would move it. And that's how they eventually developed Subway. Whereas Blimpies, these guys were like flying by the seat of their pants, just theorizing <laughs> and throwing stuff against the wall, seeing what stuck. Yeah. So then, so we did that, you know, TGI Fridays and Benny Hanna with the sort of fun, alcohol fueled, adult, fun, casual environment. Then, um, you know, moving into this season which i think is maybe the coolest which is where you realize it's food and comestibles and this offshoot of the food industry that really has this untold billion so what i'm talking about is this season it'll like we'll talk it's like the first season where we'll address things like in social happen like with social media like the chicken sandwich wars mm -hmm. between Chick-fil-A and Popeye and the creation of those two brands but we'll also talk about sporting goods and the fact that all the leather cuz 
baseball was played without gloves. And I didn't know till I did my research that baseball players, outfielders, were considered to be punks if they wore gloves. And these guys were using work <laughs> gloves and painting them flesh tone. So they didn't seem like they were like wussies who wouldn't catch a ball. Yeah. And finally, someone, you know, used the off the, the cast offs of a slaughterhouse to begin making these things. But um, we talk about spirits, mm-hmm. for example, Smirnoff. How do you sell a Russian spirit in the middle of the Cold War to a Russia hating American public? <laughs> how do you? Where though? How did it grow? Well, then you then you stop and you go. All right, let's walk it back. Mm-hmm. Well, this is the prohibition. Every American distillery is shut down or it's destroyed. But in Mexico, the distilleries are still running. So when they keep when prohibition ends, they're ready to go. They have bottles. They have boxes. They have roots. They're good to go. And how do you how do you get the Americans to drink it? You put it in a cocktail. So one bartender, and there's there's all those mythical tales about it, but ultimately makes a version of a drink called a daisy. And it's just a citrus, a citrus, a mm-hmm. sour, and uh, a clear, like, a, a vegetal spirit, like from an agave, you whatever. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, so he t- does this, and the Spanish word for daisy is margarita. And that's oh, cool. gotcha. there's, there's, Wow. There's so many attributions. Like there's an actress who was allergic to brown liquor and he made her this drink. Yeah. There are some people who say that it's actually at, uh, attributed to Rita Hayworth. Other people say that there was a German diplomat named Marguerite that was actually done for. And the, the vodka thing, believe it or not, in the height of Don Draper madness, <laughs> its selling point was that you could drink it at a business lunch and people couldn't smell the alcohol on your breath. These were the ads that Smirnoff was putting in print. Oh, my God. That it will leave you breathless. Yeah, yeah. And the man who brought it over, this brilliant, brilliant marketer, there was a local bar in Hollywood, good mixologist. He knew that this guy could probably figure something out. So he went there with the, the owner of that bar. The owner of that bar, the bar made their own ginger beer, was dating this starlet actress, what have you, who inherited a copper fortune on a copper mine. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, they used that bar's ginger beer, said it had to be served in a copper mug and created the Moscow Mule. And that was how the whole mythology of the ginger beer and the copper came about, was so that they could all derive profits. Mm -hmm. That his bar for the ginger beer and his girlfriend for the copper (laughs) mugs and his boy for Smirnoff. And then Smirnoff strikes that deal with Cubby Broccoli and Ian Fleming. And then all of a sudden, James Bond is drinking Smirnoff for the next 20-something years. And the thing that I love about the Built America series is, and this is maybe the kicker, Right, because it's obviously the juxtaposition between usually historical reenactments suck ass. This dude. <laughs> we all know it. Every time the AV squad brought in the VCR or the DVD player to class, it would be someone in togas, friends, Romans, countrymen. Like, oh god, yeah. I, you know, I regret that I have but one life to give for my country, <laughs> and these are like kind of visceral, like. I'll put it, it's like not, it's not polite. It's not meant to be like, it, it's really like 
high drama and like really yeah like there's moments of real friction and upset and danger and stakes that are kind of very palpable and so for this season one of the things that i also like is because it'll take a turn so this is something that i never thought of and i insist upon doing my own research they know this i'm a, <laughs> I'm a stickler for this but they're doing pet food this season and i said well is this a reach and then i realized that up think about this there's there is evidence that homo sapiens sapiens and felines and canines of one species or another have been companions for tens of thousands of years ago yep and yet it wasn't until the 20th century with the advent of kitty litter and specialized food for pets that they became domesticated. Cats were pest control. Dogs were purpose-driven. They were herding animals, hunting animals, pointing, retrieving. That's what they were. They were you had terriers that were meant for rats, guard dogs, sentinels. You had a few, of course, toy you know breeds and stuff for like the extreme wealthy and you know, there were some uh, cultural, um, some cultures that sort of gave them deity significance. But generally speaking, you know, the idea of dogs being anything other than and ultimately food wise, if it wasn't that which they killed, they ate human leftovers or scavengers. And the idea that just suddenly a former lightning rod salesman named Spratt goes to Liverpool, sees sailors throwing bits of hardtack biscuits to stray dogs on the docks and he's inspired mm -hmm. and he makes Spratt's fibrine dog biscuit, which is the first ever dog food. And that was in the, that was in the 1900s. Wow. That was in the last century. And then kitty litter allowed cats to shit bits inside basically yeah, yeah. and to eliminate odor and to eliminate uh, clumping and to ease cleanup. And believe it or not, like, I don't think people would realize that carnation, you know, behind your favorite condensed milk and powdered milk products and instant breakfast, you'll love it in a minute. I don't think most people would realize that they're the people behind, you know, friskies and all these different cat foods. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, th there's something that's common across all of these stories, Adam, which is that it seems like we take a lot of things for granted. And discovering the drama and the contrast and the conflict and the, the struggles that had to be overcome to create these things that we often take for granted are immensely compelling. It's like suddenly, oh my God, I had no idea the history of dog biscuits included hardtack and this whole thing. And, and so it's inherently fascinating to see those details. I, I think maybe that's it. Maybe that's the, the Zaza Zoo of that, uh, of that series of shows. You know what it also, you know, especially in this post-pandemic world or even during the pandemic where everyone was an entrepreneur and mm -hmm. everyone was selling bread from their homes or I have I make pizzas and you page me and I deliver the pizza to your house and these underground dining parties and you know I have so many friends that you know the, the buzzword is I pivoted and whatever yeah but I I will tell you two things number one in doing the research on all of these people you realize these suckers men and women alike every walk of life, hmm. every race, religion, whatever, they would have been successful at anything. Like, it's just, uh, like, Rosalie Totono, like, from the, the uh, Totino from the, you know, the pizza, pizza roll. The oh, yeah, thing. yeah, yeah, sure. 
um, she went from finding the stray leftover orange peels in her school playground to eat the leftover orange pulp on the rinds in the ground to being the first ever general foods exact female general foods executive Incredible. worth millions of dollars wow. with a business she built with her husband in the back back of the pizzeria excuse me in the back of the pizzeria and i feel that so i you know and you realize like heinz had something like 40 45 failed businesses reese's was fired from Hershey's and started making chocolate with chocolate he stole from Hershey's. Yeah, yeah. Like these guys have like the biggest kahungas ever. I mean, <laughs> the the one, you know, you look at the story of Anheuser-Busch, you have the son ousting the father. You have at Dunkin' Donuts and you see, and these are brilliant, like ultimately you realize it and maybe the the crappiest the crappiest <laughs> message that any any dreamer could have is like your third grade teacher is right like you got to pay attention in school you got you got to get smart cuz mm -hmm. it's just so evident that these hard working smart people and you realize that they've just it's the it's that combination of grit like the fact that like Debbie Fields like I don't know if you know what she looked like or her background no was like she was a is a breathtakingly beautiful woman and was the the wife of a Palo Alto executive who was making these cookies at dinner parties and someone someone uh kind of disrespected her and spoke down to her and and and, and made a very diminishing uh comment about her intellect and her aspirations about baking and mm -hmm. um i believe he also she may have misspoken and said orientate as opposed to orient yeah. but but and she got a loan for the, like, the crappiest rate i think she got a rate at like 22 percent uh, for her for her loan and her husband had to put his childhood home up and they did this thing and she pounded the pavement she wasn't getting enough customers and she decided she put it she she locked up she put cookies on a tray she walked around palo alto and said would you pay for a cookie like this then come in and she walked around and she did that and she was married to a man who considered himself an economic futurist translation he used computers and suddenly she didn't have to go to all the locations they could all be networked mm -hmm. so she could check p and l she could do ordering and then once she was able to batch ingredients then she could keep her recipe secret and just deliver the cookie mixture to the place and it's just mix bag a with bag b add this and it becomes this proprietary thing auntie ann's can i tell you i went to the first auntie ann's pretzel and they gave this lady deliberately this man at the mall in Lancaster, they deliberately still kept that franchise open. Uh -huh. He gave her a place by the parking lot, not in the food court. Oh, she saw that the, that the mall was the thing. Mm -hmm. She said, okay. And she starts making these buttery pretzels and the smell alone. But then what did they do? Walk around the damn mall with samples. And then <laughs> they followed the smell and whatever. And within two years, that mall manager bought three franchises for his damn self 
and uh, and that's the thing and you see like the heart like these people and the the second thing i was going to mention is i've been doing food tv since 2008 i've gotten offers to do sauces and restaurants and i've been a schmuck maybe and left money on the table because i haven't done it but i didn't want to do it half-assed <laughs> and i'll tell you it's doing this series that's actually put the wheels in motion for sure it is and like you go like to hear that like Mark Cuban built his first business for, for eight grand. Yeah. And he sold that company, you know, for billions and then bought the Mavs and da 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 da, da and turned that into a multi-billion dollar franchise. So the, the 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 thing is for me, I really do think that now people are watching Food That Built America for the inspiration. And and now mm-hmm. what's really cool, I really do mean that about this series. Because it's not polite, because it's not whitewashed, because it's like the edges aren't sanded down and they make it look awesome and gritty. And like, for example, and and think about this, right? Mm-hmm. I'm a white Jewish kid talking to you in the middle of Black History Month. And to finally be able to show like people don't know this. And I didn't, as a host of Man vs. Food, I would openly talk about how buffalo wings came from the Anchor Bar in Buffalo. It's the, the only story I ever knew. Yep. And then you realize that there was a man named John Young who had a restaurant called Wings and Things on Jefferson Ave in Buffalo, which at the time amounted to Buffalo's Black Main Street. And he was friends with a boxer who had gone to like the Washington, D.C., Baltimore area. There's another restaurant called Wings and Things. And if you've ever been to DC, you know that they have something called mumbo sauce. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So bright red. And the difference is buffalo, hot, sour butter. The difference is mumbo sauce is hot, sour, sweet. But he did mumbo sauce wings in Buffalo first. And uh, when the racial violence and the race riots in Buffalo uh, hit a fever pitch. He and his family moved to Tulsa and then subsequently Chicago. And when they moved back, the Bellissimos were claiming that they had created it. And even within the anchor bar mythology, right? Mm-hmm. There's like all these things like the compressor in the fridge frozen. She had wings frozen together and she just chose to fry them to cook them quickly. And and then the other thing was instead of the backs and necks they used to get for the sauce, they got the wings because that's the truth. Wings, that is the truth. Yeah. Wings were throwaway parts. Wings were ground for food, for like, you know, horse chow, cow, whatever, dog mm-hmm. chow. But the, uh, the wing was not a sought after part. But then when a generation of children had eaten them because, uh, this is really kind of fascinating and and it 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 has real roots in like southern culture black baptist southern culture in particular that very often the preacher would come over for sunday supper for sunday chicken he would get the best parts the preacher's parts you know thighs breasts so on yeah children would often get the wings but that whole generation grew up loving those and then suddenly there was this appeal and John Young never really got his due. Now his his daughter, I understand, is bringing some of the the stuff back. But there's many people that that report seeing John Bellissimo at John Young's place. <laughs> wow! You know, learning about the wings, asking mm. about the wings, and it's this hotly debated thing. But like, how cool is it 
to you know as as a guy who's been in the food industry as a as a as as a guy who's you know a white cat from brooklyn to be able to say you know what there may be this other story. And I, I know that there's like writers from the New York Times that said suggesting that the Buffalo Wing began with the Bellissimos is like suggesting that rock and roll began with Elvis. <laughs> I'm not I'm not gonna get that messy, yeah. but I will say this. If it's even a possibility, does the man's name hard work, ingenuity, and the sheer tragedy of the fact that he had to be uproot, uprooted? Doesn't that deserve to be known? Mm-hmm. Doesn't doesn't? Yeah. If if he were even if he were a contemporary of the Bellissimos, it by it, it it makes him part of the mythology. Can you tell Burger King's story without telling the story of McDonald's and vice versa? Can you tell the story of Coke without telling the story of Pepsi? Mm-hmm. And I think that um, what I also love is apropos of what I read on social. People really, especially when there's like this juxtaposition, like so the peanut butter episode. I don't know how they got these sons of bitches, man. This guy, Joel Schneider, I love him. He's like this brilliant director. Yeah. He pulled a Barbara Walters on me, man. Middle of the peanut butter episode. Just asked the right sequence of questions, and the son of a bitch got me to cry. Wow. Got me thinking, got me thinking about my dad, and oh, we were talking man. about like advertising and stuff. And yeah, there was a commercial of a dad and his son that I watched with my father, and I recounted it in the middle of it. I just, it was like I was, you know, watching Yentl or something, just a mess. <laughs> and uh, but yeah, like I never, but it's to me. Sure, sometimes people want you to shut the hell up with the nickel knowledge and the awesome little rando facts. But other times it's cool. Like, I didn't know that the guy, one of the two men who created Peter Pan peanut butter, when his one partner died, the other one tried to screw him over, he just left and created Skippy. That it's the same person. Or that Peter Pan never, isn't that wild? Or the fact that... They the Peter Pan brand has never to this day paid the JM Barry estate one dollar. And how the Popeyes brand avoided Mel Blanc and syndicated comics getting uh any kind of copyright infringement. Yeah, he said Popeye's chicken was based on Gene Hackman's character in the French connection, Popeye Doyle. <laughs> right. And he got out of it, and he was this wild man who raced speedboats. And then the flip side is, you know, you have Truett Cathy, who had sort of like a coffee shop and diner, and he wisely moved it near where there was an airplane plant. Mm-hmm. And what the the same poultry provider for the airline, I believe it was Delta, actually, the same poultry provider for them had accidentally brought the airline uh, size of chicken breast, the grade A chicken breast that was too large because at the time everything was cooked on the metal trays that were partitioned. Yeah. So the chicken breast had to fit in that little square and they gave them these big daddy chicken breasts that they couldn't use. So they went next door and they said, listen, we'll give them to you for cheap because we have to unload them. They're going to spoil. And he's true at Kathy says, well, listen, my people, they like chicken on the bone. I don't have to do a chicken breast. So they said, look, so he sees a deal. He takes them. 
and he messes around and he eventually tries to recreate, I think it was his mother's recipe mm-hmm. and he doesn't know how to do it. It takes him 20 minutes and he makes a mess, but ultimately believe it or not, like out the gate arrives at bun mayo, two pickles, soft bun, no seeds, brings it home. His kids call it his chicken burger and the chick fill letter a was to indicate the grade of the chicken breast. Ah, but wow. It, and it was the, the same hours of his his initial establishment. That's what's reflected now. So that's why they're, they're never open on on Sunday. I see. And um, we, you know, I know that they're polarizing. And I think we kind of, I don't know if they're going to touch it. They may or may not. But the other thing that's also kick-ass, by the way, mm-hmm. we get to do, we get to do holidays stuff like i like candy corn peeps candy canes like these are things that are just sort of omnipresent like to me it's like on the eighth on the eighth day he created candy corn like i didn't know he and i didn't know those things were the most hazardous (laughs) dangerous labor intensive things because back in the day and you need to picture this so anyone who's listening to this that may have ever made candy, seen candy made, knows that melted sugar or caramel is like napalm because it burns and it doesn't move. You can't wipe it off. Mm-hmm. It stays right yeah. where you put it. You know, it's like a, it's like a, like lead, you yeah. know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's no bueno. So, <laughs> uh, I can get to this whole caramel thing, but so essentially what they would be little molds that were upside down cones with the point down and the spherical surface, mm-hmm. you know, the circle at the top. So it's an upside down cone. Yeah. And you know, the size of candy corn, you would have to by hand pour a cauldron of each of the colors, just a little bit into each of those little tiny things. Oh so you'd my pour God. just the, you'd pour just the white. So it was a two person job where one person would, hold the thing and the other person was back to back and would guide the stream and they would walk and pour this stream of lava into this little (laughs) tiny thing and then they'd wait for the the white to cool and then you'd pour in the orange and wait for that and then whatever the yellow and then you'd have to pop it out the mold and and now you know people People hate them. People love them. It's nostalgic. It's disgusting. It's what have you. How are how are how are candy corn not like a thousand dollars per candy corn? Given the labor intensive <laughs> well, now, nature of it, yeah. now it's probably extruded. Back in the day, that was the whole dilemma. Wow! Because there was popularity, but automation needed to catch up with the demand. Mm-hmm. The irony is, the other thing is peeps. Peeps began mm-hmm. with the wings of the birds extended, but that truly required. There's a a whole art to marshmallow sculpting. And, and ironically <laughs> enough, women uh, proved to be the most adept at it. And um, then, and it was funny because if I recall correctly, I'm like, I don't care. Let the bra- let the peeps company come at me. Like, <laughs> big peep coming y'all. after peeps Adam Richmond. Yeah, big peep. Big peep. I love it. The peep lobbyists. Oh, man. Adam Richmond found under like a layer, like buried in a silo of glossy purple sugar. Full with marshmallows. But no, if I'm not remembering that the sort of ne'er-do-well prodigal son 
who kind of came back into the fold from like a random background was the one who said, just do them with their arms closed and they're less labor intensive. <laughs> and so you can make the mold where it looks like that they're like a dove just sort of in repose, whatever else. And just by pulling up on this thing, you make a beak and then we dot the eyes and whatever the sugar is. And again, even in the studio, among the assembled throng of people, <laughs> people were like, I like them stale. I was like, who hurt you? What are you talking about? I love marshmallows. I love marshmallows. My right, my right love handle in particular, I think is mostly fluff. I, I, not only by consistency, I think by derivation, I really do think... Oh my God, my dad, may rest in peace. I remember we had gone fishing and he surprised me and he had made fluffer nutters. And like, imagine that, like talk about a Norman Rockwell moment, like with yeah. your pot, you go upstate, you're fishing in the Catskills. <laughs> dad breaks out on like the shittiest white bread, which is always the best. Uh -huh. And, you know, and you're having a fluffer nutter. And so, yeah, so then the marshmallow and the thing is so polarizing. Even the episode we just did about cereal, the people back to politics, people don't realize, like, Ronald Reagan switches to essentially supply-side economics, mm -hmm. Reaganomics. The 80s is flooded with cash. And suddenly he lets the FCC advertise directly to children and... You can now, even if there's no cartoon tie-in like Fruity Pebbles, where Post was able to take a shot at Kellogg's for the first time, mm -hmm. you know, people forget that's not a Kellogg's cereal. That's a Post cereal. Yeah. You know, from the makers of Grape Nuts and Postum, you know, <laughs> is Fruity Pebbles. And the irony, just to see, like, okay, General Mills, that's this is what I mean about why the show is so inspiring about the pivoting yeah yeah because it's very linear thinking what is it it's not not occam's razor what is it what is the it's it's uh i hate to say it, it's what alan moss talks about but where it's almost like this the simplest explanation is yeah, often the most that's occam's razor yeah uh, so that essentially, oh, I can't believe I got that. Well, final jeopardy, Alice. <laughs> but yeah, so holy shit, I'm going to buy a lottery ticket today. Uh, <laughs> but essentially, so General Mills has a hit with Cheerios. Kellogg's is like, how dare they? We own breakfast. And all of a sudden, you have someone wise enough to say, wait, we have a cereal called OKs. And it makes O's and it makes K's. Okay. <laughs> Kids love O's, so let's stop making the K's. Just take the K mold out and make more O's. Yeah. You just make more O's. They can't be the same O's. You have to do something else. And they create <laughs> Fruit Loops. And the toucan, the irony is, right, the toucan has no sense of smell. The toucan can't smell. But <laughs> wow. the same guy who created Tony the Tiger, same guy who created Snap, Crackle, Pop, has the brilliance. And he, this is what I mean when when – when these human beings are dialed in, you think that it's a, like, I don't know, like, even the, the pet food episode, the, the man who invented the milk bones, MIT scientist, finds out that a 
the slaughterhouse hires him. They have a surplus of milk, obviously. Mm -hmm. You know, they're killing the cows. They have all these milk. They have the milk sacks and this, that, and the third. We have all this milk. What can we do? They hire this inventor. And this man would eventually go on to create not only margarine, but unleaded gasoline. He takes the milk. He dehydrates it, brings the dehydrated milk home. His dog takes an interest in it. He then decides he's going to use Spratt's model and make a biscuit with it, a dog biscuit with Mm -hmm. it. Dog takes no interest, molds it into the shape of a bone, and the dog almost takes his fingers off. And there is the birth of the milk bone, right? I thought you were going to tell me that there was a relationship between unleaded gasoline and margarine and how (laughs) they probably taste about the same. It may as well be. (laughs) It may as well be because... I've backfired with margarine. I don't know. <laughs> I hope you have a few more minutes because I got to ask yeah, you about man, man versus food. What's the current status of that franchise right now? So man versus food was uh, rebooted a few years back with yeah. a different host. And I, I don't have any connection to that. Oh, okay. Uh, so you don't show. have, you're not on that one. No, no. Okay. So now I'm working with History and A&E Network. So I have the four that I'm working on are Rebels, Toys, and Food That Built America, mm-hmm. and this one called The Goat. And then they air a show. <clears throat> they do a show called Fast History, yeah. and I'm the VO of that. Okay. And then uh, <clears throat> I don't know. There is there's there there is scuttlebutt about modern marvels coming back which i would love i i um i just you know it's a show i i love watching i love doing and i think i don't know it's just a cool it's a cool dimension but that's the nice thing about history right like history touches every single every single subject and if i can get Mm -hmm. into it through food and then they can go oh well we didn't know you were interested in like I happen to know a lot about the Lincoln assassination. It was just something that always fascinated me. Yeah. And so like Oh, here's here's one for you. Right near where I live, a, a matter I could walk to it right now is the live? is the broken down barn that George Atzerat hid out in on the night of the assassination. He was the guy who was supposed to kill, I think, Andrew Johnson on the night of the assassination of Lincoln. And he ended up in this place right here in Germantown, Maryland, where I live. And it's literally around the block. It's incredible. And uh, there's not even a historic so marker there. Awesome. Uh, George Atzerat. Yeah, I thought you'd get a kick out of that. Is the barn still standing? Yeah, it is. In fact, I think I'm going to go down there and do uh, an Instagram video uh, one of these days while there are no weeds or leaves on the trees or anything like that so I can get down there. Um, but it's, yeah, oh it's literally right off the road. And ironically... Um, well, this is just a, a strange coincidence that the road that it's next to is the road that inspired Country Road Take Me Home, the John Denver song. <laughs> so it's like Which this weird, it? it's called Clopper Road in, in Germantown, Maryland. And, and that was the road that he was singing about in that song. Of course, the song was written by this other singing duo out of Georgetown. And then they came up with the, uh, the lyrics to this song. And I think it was originally Clopper Road, Take Me Home, which would have been very indelicate and <laughs> not very romantic <laughs> or interesting. But See, yeah, that's so fascinating at that part of the country. Like, because I'm th- that's also for me. So um, the cool thing is A&E, the, the sort of parent, the umbrella sort of entertainment group that history is part of has these wonderful production companies sort of under them six west with whom i did modern marvels and adam eats the 80s yeah 
um, and obviously uh, Lucky Eight, and <clears throat> I beg your pardon, but yeah, I just remember um, very, very well that when we were filming very close to Gettysburg, and my father was a Civil War enthusiast, and we never got to go. That like when you have the ability to actually walk there and, you know, obviously the rebel army went to Maryland uh, after their defeat at Gettysburg. Mm -hmm. um, it was, you know, there is that moment. And I think that's the other thing that I love about doing stuff with the History Channel is because, you know, connected to Gettysburg, there's food things connected to Gettysburg. There's, um you know, there's music elements, there's yeah. technology elements, you know what I mean? So you could look at just Gettysburg as a microcosm through history and go, okay, well, it was when Gettysburg was where the campaign began to send jelly beans to mm. the troops. And then there was the the musket and then all, you know, whether it went from the smooth bore to the actual rifling of a musket and the mini ball. And that technology and then grape shot and the cannon technology. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. And yeah. Yeah. So in terms of man versus food though, back to your initial point, uh, not doing anything with that, but, but uh, the guys with whom I built that show, who went on to build the juggernaut that is 90 day fiance. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we, uh, we're going to get the band back together. So we're, oh. we're, Okay. We're, we're we we have something in the works. So um, it's at its nascent stages now. So neither to the king nor the fool will show a half finished project. So best I uh, shut my mouth. <laughs> All right. Well, I, if that happens, I'm very much looking forward to it. And just real quick on Gettysburg, I'm also a Civil War enthusiast, and really? I have spent so many hours in Gettysburg. If you ever need, <laughs> I mean, I'm not a licensed battlefield guide or anything like that, but I know a thing or two about Gettysburg. And of course it's only about an hour from here. So uh, if you ever need a tour, Adam, I'm available. <laughs> I went there. four days. I went four days in a row and I will never forget this as long as I live. So because of COVID, there was a lockdown at the place we were supposed to go. Yeah. So we were just cooling our heels in, a, in Hanover PA, fairly mm -hmm. close. Right. And so you would drive through a town called New Oxford, and there was this great cafe there called Deja Brew. Some of the best baked goods, lovely people, fantastic coffee. Yeah. And I'm talking to my director, and I was listening to the Battle of Gettysburg podcast on the way to the battlefield again, hmm. and I'm recommending to him to go, and I'm telling him about these amazing muffins and this. And I said, holy, sh you know, holy shit, Matt. He said, what? I said... <laughs> I really, I, I finally, even though I have no children, like, oh my God, I finally am approaching peak dad. And he said, what do you mean? <laughs> I said, I'm driving to a Civil War battlefield while listening to a Civil War podcast, <laughs> telling my friend about a place to get a great muffin. I said, the only thing left for me to do is start reading submarine novels and use the, and use the phrase to do BM. <laughs> And, that, and then you'd be your dad. Is that right? Then I would. Yes. Then it's like <laughs> the circle is complete. Now I have the master. Yeah, totally. I just picked you. I'm sitting there reading like 
Widowmaker, and he's like, "No, I went in there to do BM." <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask you just a couple things about yeah. Man versus Food, and then I'll I'll let you please go, do, Adam. Please but do, please do. Was there ever a food challenge that was so horrendous that it made you want to never eat or be near that food ever, ever again? Oh, several. You know that the <laughs> oyster challenge in New Orleans. Yeah, it was. <laughs> two years three years before i could even have one there's a brilliant there's a brilliant chef named carrie savona mm -hmm. uh in new haven connecticut and he did some fancy fancy he had like a gelée, a campari gelée, or something on yeah. it. it was magnificent but yeah it's it it's taken me a while that one and then there were certain foods like I was never really that into that were parts of challenges that I was like, okay, now I'm there. Like now I'm good and done. Yeah. The other thing is there's certain like, like I'll go back. So I've been back to one in a million in Austin, Texas several times because the Mesa family are just two or one, the most lovely human beings, like the best. Yeah. But when I see people order the challenge or order those breakfast tacos, like I remember how good they were, but they're so rich. I remember how my molars were like <laughs> aching, like so cloying, <laughs> like, like, like you licked every nine volt battery in the world at once. Like your jaws, <laughs> like I'm doing it now, remembering it like, Oh no. Like, Clenching your jaw like 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 a character actor playing a Nazi. Like, yes, you are going there. Yes. Like, ah, like, the clench. <laughs> that challenge was eight Don Juan El Taco Grande breakfast tacos, which is a three-quarter pound taco consisting of potatoes, eggs, cheese, and bacon. Oh, my oh, God, so Adam. Good. They're so good. Wow. And that's the thing. They are excellent. So these are these are parents that cook. Like that's the thing that's bananas. They're there constantly. They were teachers. They yeah. worked in a school, and they opted to do only a breakfast place so they could spend time with their children. And um, they cook for customers like they're their kids, and their salsa is fantastic. And the thing is amazing. And they're honest. Like, I was like, is this like a local cheddar? Is this like a Mexican thing? And she's like, it's Land of Lakes, Adam. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> and also, to be clear, that oysters challenge, first of all, it was 180 oysters. 80. And True. second of all, in that food challenge, man was victorious. You covered that one. Barely. Barely. <laughs> You want a behind the scenes? You want a little behind the scenes? Please, exclusivo? please. Here's yeah. a little exclusivo. So okay. I had to learn about rights and clearances early on as a little bit of a pop culture vulture. I always found myself, want, you know, uh, there was a bad time in Kansas City when, like, <laughs> my, my creative juices, like, my energy level was low, my creative juices were low, and there was far too many Borat quotes, yeah. like far too much. I like fucking horrible. Oh, so bad. Just like, oh, Adam, Adam, <laughs> dude, take away your union card, you know? But generally speaking, you could make references, but you couldn't use tunes. Yeah. So, like, I was smart enough to know, like, how to finagle that. But if anyone else sang something or played something, we obviously couldn't use it. Um, or likenesses or likenesses on t-shirts that was an issue so um 
I was, and the show hadn't aired yet. It was only the the commercials had started airing when we were in New Orleans. Wow. I remember because we were filming by Cafe Du Monde, and while I was filming my intro read, which normally, which later became like a shit show because I'd get out of the van and people would, you know, jump in. <laughs> but when we were filming the um, the intro read, I heard someone say, "Is this for that show, Man versus Food?" And they're like, "Yeah, yeah, that's the one." So. Uh, yeah, I just <laughs> I remember in New Orleans we were at Acme Oyster House, and it was about the eleventh dozen. I began to feel unwell, and normally I would have some kind of receptacle near me in case I got sick. Yeah, the issue was the we had, um, you know, you have interns, and sometimes you know you, you, they're new and they vacillate in quality, you know, vary in quality rather. So. Um, they didn't do what they were supposed to do. And I saw that it was underneath the table that had the clipboards and the, the camera equipment bullshit. Mm-hmm. And I needed it, but I didn't want to say out loud to my director, can you bring me that bucket? Cause I knew once I said that, that was it, that, that energy's in the room. Assholes <laughs> are going to be, Oh, he's going to get sick. And you don't even need that energy. Right. Yeah. So I'm just trying to plow through cause there's no time limit. And um, the 12th, so I'm like, who? So the 12th dozen lands, I believe, or the, I think that's right, the 12th dozen lands. And there was a table to my right. And if you watch, it's this one dude like freaks out. He's like, ah, he like freaks out like right in my ear. I actually mind stabbing him with my cocktail fork. It was like, it looked like a bachelor party of some kind. They were playing that credit card roulette, you uh-huh. know, where like everyone puts their card in. They had me pit, you know, whatever. So they were next to me, but they, you know, like most people in New Orleans were drinking. And uh, <laughs> so I, I said, because I knew they can't use everything during this long ass challenge. So I just said out loud, I went, I've come this far. I can't stop now. And then it just reminded me of that song from the 80s. And I just went, and I went, can't stop now. And I went, to change this lonely love. <laughs> and then the guys at the table to my right go, I want to know what love is. And the whole place of it just starts saying, I want you to show me. <laughs> and so I'm like so amped that everyone's singing. I'm crushing oysters while I'm doing it. I'm not even paying attention. I want to feel what love is. You know, whatever. And wow. I'm just sitting there yeah. just eating oysters, right? So then my director, Dan, God bless him, is having a thrombo. He's losing his shit. Stop. Stop. Everybody's going to stop. I wish Dan could hear this because I do a very good Dan. Stop it. Stop. Guys, no, no, no. Sorry. I'm so sorry. We can't use it. It's a very good moment. I'm so sorry. That's a good song. And I love the song. And I love the energy. It's great energy. Great energy, guys, but I can't use it. We can't pay for the song. Please, we want to be able to get you guys in the show. Please, we get you guys cheering around it, but we can't have the song, whatever else, and whatever. And he was like the guy who took the beach ball away at the beginning of the concert. <laughs> and everyone was like, boo, boo. And then there was this one kind of like older guy who was sort of towards the back who must have known Lucy and the owner, and he was by, like, the curve in the oyster bar in the back left. I can still picture him sitting off my right shoulder, and I can see him sort of at my 4 o'clock. <laughs> and uh, I just remember 
he just of his own volition it was like kind of silent and he's like let me just get you guys clapping and i was like this fucking sucks like Ugh. back to the dolgems of this shit but now but at this point i'm in my 14 dozen i think wow god damn and um and uh i look over at this old guy and he just raises both hands and goes i want Oh, I love it. Oh, no. And God. everyone goes right back into it. And I'm like, yes. So I beast this, that thing or whatever else. And he's like, wait, wait, guys. It's the last dozen. It's the last dozen. Please. I love the energy. I love the energy. Please. And then I was like, guys, 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 please. Danny's oh, going to do whatever. And the thing is, I had had a really crap. So then, you know, I'm a savage, you know. Mm-hmm. So naturally I had to win. So I do the thing and then <laughs> you get a little punchy when you have that much protein and all the blood going to your stomach and you get a little food drunk. And Dan, it's funny, like at one point, Dan goes in to explain that to the camera in the Atlanta pizza challenge. And he's saying, Adam's not drunk. It's just, it's a kind of a food drunk with the carbohydrate and it's truth. Yeah. And while he's there, like I rack him in the balls under the camera, like you <laughs> see me, like I rack him. So he... So Danny is there and he's trying to get me to do the reverse shots for the press conference that we do at the end with all the mic flags and the uh, Adam, 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 Adam. So what do you think your key was? You know what I mean? And then I answer the questions of the crowd at the end of the members food challenge. So I started doing all these boner jokes. So I kept putting my hand <laughs> underneath the table. So I'd start talking and then I'd start raising the, the thing. I'm like, oh, oysters. And Dan's like, we can't use the joke. And it was getting, I'm, I'm, I'm a hand, dude. Like, Jew, Jew that I may be, was getting a laugh. I'm not stopping. <laughs> and then so I had had a bad breakup. And um, I remember, you know, I hadn't, I was, you know, was kind of hurt. I was hurting pretty bad, actually. And mm-hmm. uh, my PA, Patrick, uh, wingman, wingman of of at least the decade just just a yeoman's yeoman's job that evening <laughs> but uh i actually met uh a young lady there and she actually came over to me a little bellicose at first i guess they had moved her or moved her and her friends because of the show and first wanted to give me a piece of her mind and then it was you know total taming of the true petruchio kate moment where it sort of turned into this really fantastic banter and Hmm. suddenly this really deep flirtation and i'm like oh my god you know i still got some game and at the (laughs) moment we're really close we were at the harris in the french quarter and at that moment at the casino and at that moment we're like super close or whatever (laughs) and some dude walks by who i guess was at the challenge and as he walks by, he goes, careful, girl. He just had 180 oysters tonight. <laughs> Fuck you, cock-blocking son of a bitch. Oh, my God. He just cock-blocked you because you just did uh, a food challenge. Yeah, but, you know, th- there's there, th- there are some <laughs> – some some blocks are easily surmountable. It was just like – I mean, you know what I mean? But it was just such like a, such a moment of like – Dude, really? No, oh, man. Really? Yeah. The irony was, though. Yeah, it was. Dude, but she she didn't run off at that point. I mean, the... no, no. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. That like, like, you know, he gave her he gave her the caveat. After at that point, you know, if she wanted to <laughs> mTOR, that was on her. And uh, no, and and it was the, the funny thing was right that. 
you know, I I knew like I was like before we go anywhere else, and I I was very chill about it. I was like, hey, uh, before we head anywhere else, let me just hit the restroom. Like these guys were like all chill, and I'm drinking <laughs> with everybody. But unlike them, I had had 180 oysters first. <laughs> right. So let me use the I'm restroom like, as kind of a loaded question. Yeah. So I was just super low key about it, and then like, just like waiting there, you know, doing, you know, <laughs> Hasselhoff stomach on Baywatch level, like muscle control. like. <laughs> and then like, I came out fresh as a daisy. Like I went in fighting Klitschko, came out fighting Mayweather. Like I was like, <laughs> I was lighter. I was happy. I was like, yay. Yay. Laissez les bon temps rouler. Hello, New Orleans. <laughs> Yes, and to this day, you still can't listen to Foreigner, can you? <laughs> Without you know what? Actually, that, that still gives me the love. I still, it's funny. The official song of the Man vs. Food crew was uh, Your Love by The Outfield. But Oh, wow. And, and we, oh, because we did so many road trips, mm -hmm. and we were, we were just so, we were very close, and we would, like, assign parts of the harmony, and... Mm -hmm. uh, Oh my God! God forbid if it was like either the Man versus Food or uh, Best Sandwich. And I mean, there was a repertoire that that. Oh my God! Like, but we we literally my my sound guy Eric, who's a two time Emmy winner for HBO twenty four seven, and mm -hmm. arguably one of my best friends, Dan Kornfeld, my director, um, and. I think well, that was the three of us, and then there was uh, one camera guy named Scott that that was sort of part of this mm -hmm. when it began in Boulder. But no, quite literally, we had a very tight harmony on your love, and like I would just take the falsetto because I was the only one who could, and then those guys would come in like angels. These like guys <laughs> wearing like their they had. Um, what's it called the leatherman the multi-tool like on their belt and they had the cargo shorts like every crew guy ever has mm -hmm. and wearing merrells but yet all of a sudden because <laughs> dan had been a drummer and they and oh pete fackler these guys just together had voices of angels it was absolutely delightful <laughs> oh, man. so is on a vacation far away and whatever and then these guys would come in tonight oh my word <laughs> and it would people would be like what what <laughs> of course what Just makes amazing. it to huff post is me by myself doing the humpty dance <laughs> at, naturally at, more, at the at, at with more at uh the uh the Harvard Club for Morimoto's party. I'm like, oh, okay, that's what you got. <laughs> right. Thanks. Thanks like, for nothing, Why didn't guys. you get yeah. Morimoto doing Sweet Child of Mine? That's just hysterical. <laughs> Andrew Zimmern and Morimoto doing Sweet Child of Mine is a thing that has happened in life. Oh, my she God. She got eyes of a bluey sky. Dude, amazing. Okay, back with more Adam Richman right after these words. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Bob Seska plays more music. Do you know Andrew? Andrew Zimmern? Yeah. Yeah. Andrew Zimmern is like, so he and Bourdain were my mentors. Yeah, yeah. And, um... Which is kind of a ridiculous sentence to say out loud, but... Uh, uh, no, completely not surprising. I mean, Bourdain... But, I had a podcast partner who died uh, a few years ago, uh, my original partner sorry. on the show, yeah. And he was carved from the same Bourdain cloth, same kind of guy. And uh, every time I think of Bourdain, every, I go right to my old podcast partner and vice versa. It was, it was remarkable how similar they were. So there's, I have a special connection to uh, Bourdain in that way. Well, no, but but no, quite literally, like the man himself was yeah. my friend and wow, a uh, someone I turned to for advice or for help or a favor. Um, was it New York, the New York kind of thing? Is that you guys had a connection uh, based around? We your... were both on Travel Channel, yeah. and I guess what endeared me to him was because he didn't like. He liked me. He didn't like the show. He was very open about that. Hmm. And I think because I, I could, I could make the distinction. Sometimes he would convey that his dislike for the show in hmm. ways that were driven by his desire to be clever that would run roughshod on our friendship. But the thing is he appreciated that I would stick up for myself. And I think that it made us better friends. And and he, he told me that he appreciated that. And like, you know, like one time on Letterman, like I kind of got thrown under the bus and I wrote him this thing. And like, he, he reached out. And I remember one of his colleagues was like, you got like, one of the four apologies in the past 11 years kind of thing like wow. but just but he one of the big things with him was even though i had joined travel channel that at this point had you know tony had left food and was on travel and was going to leave and stayed on travel andrew zimmern was at travel mm-hmm. and i was their third bet on food and Mostly, you know, Samantha Brown, who is the high priestess, she's the best. She's OG travel host. She's the best. Yeah. Samantha Brown, um, you know, it was Samantha, Andrew, and Tony. And then um, it was this kind of thing that I guess a lot of hosts when shows would start at travel would immediately feel entitled to meet Tony or try to meet or have their people reach out and stuff. And um, A, he never struck me as the type of cat that would, because I cooked in New York too for a minute, and like he never struck me as the type of cat that would like like my people reaching out to his people kind of thing. But also, mm-hmm. I don't know, I figured, because I wanted to, like I knew I wanted to meet him, but someone kind of confided in me that, you know that that seems to be the case that a lot of people on 
that were on the network because he's a legend, you know, immediately yeah. wanted an audience. And, um, but I was on the show, I was on the same network as him for years before we broke bread. Like we, like th there were like communications through people and I had done little things for his shows. Andrew and I, connected season one of man versus food mm -hmm. in minneapolis at brasa restaurant and i love him with every ounce of my being like i couldn't love him more if we were related and yeah. um but tony um you know it's it's a very different thing you know tony would never do an endorsement deal and i've done two campaigns with walmart mm -hmm. um we had very different audiences. We have very different voices. We have very different personae. And um, I think that's what made the friendship tick. Yeah. But, you know, I still read his emails to me all the time, believe it or not. I do. I, uh, you know, my pop died and I was pretty young. So some of the older men in my life that have been willing to not gatekeep and dispense wisdom and understand that I look to them. Like Andrew, I think gets it to an extent, like mm -hmm. that there is a bit of that almost fatherly energy. I think I feel that to a different extent with with different different mentors that I've had. But I feel, um, yeah. But like that was it. I used to call us the Gang of Three, but mm -hmm. you know, Tony gave me perspective on everything from food to shows to. Um, interviews to reacting to acrimony and all these things mm -hmm. anyway i just it's so odd because he, it's not a matter of like taking it for granted by any stretch of the imagination but mm -hmm. it's like oh yeah like Oh, we're both in the same city. Let's grab a drink. And you don't like realize like what you're doing. You don't realize like, I don't know. I guess I know that if I ever caught myself in moments of like awe or reverie, he'd probably call me out on it and call me a bitch. So, I, <laughs> so did, did you, I just, did you ever have an older brother or older sibling growing mm -hmm. up or no? No, no. Yeah. No, my pop died when I was 23. Mm -hmm. Um I had a I had a cousin, my mom's sister son, um that unfortunately um we don't really talk anymore, but he was a little bit of at least like the older brother you wanted to emulate a yeah, little bit yeah. until I sort of found my own thing. But yeah, I mean that was it it's just really it's just really cool when you find that avuncular energy mm -hmm. with these guys who are supposed to be so tough. I played in a charity soccer match. So there's a team in in LA, a soccer team called Hollywood United that I played for. And so too did Gordon Ramsay and Anthony LaPaglia and Jason Statham, what have you. And I played in 2014 for Soccer Aid at Old Trafford in Manchester with Gordon. And I got to meet him a bunch. We had the same trainer and coach. And um, Gordon, you know, he's very fit. He's a badass. Yeah. Um, and obviously people know his abrasiveness or causticness. He's one of the most elegant, soft-spoken, interesting men. Wow. Remarkable. It's uh, 
Well, and he, has a, he also has that big brother thing, which is kind of where I was going with the Bourdain or with a question about whether you had an older brother, because it seems like Bourdain had that personality. And I think Gordon Ramsay possesses it to an extent where you kind of look to them as being sort of a Sherpa, as a guide uh, to how to handle things, how to deal with uh, whether it's fame or, you know, the grueling production schedule of a show, traveling and so on. And it seems like both of them would be immensely helpful along those lines as as kind of a mentor. It's it's, it's weird how how that comes. Can I tell you one of the one of the best people because you know, I didn't deal very well. I admit, and handle well or deal very well with a the pressures of representing something larger than yourself. Mm-hmm. So I've been in instances where my behavior has scuttled the show that then cost other people their jobs and opportunities, and that's something that still hurts. Um, you know, it's just you know, you, you snap judgment act like a goddamn idiot on social and then you know suddenly the show you're working on gets scuttled and restaurants lose publicity and cameramen lose work and lose work so on and so forth yeah and that's like that's hard but the other thing is no one tells you like how to a walk into a room and have no anonymity but also how to um deal with people that take advantage and that, that are maybe not too kind and Mm -hmm. believe it or not, you know, who I got the best advice from was Rob Van Winkle, Vanilla Ice. He and I talked when we did, um, he had the Vanilla Ice project on the same networks and we, we, he did my Key West episode of uh, Man versus Food Nation. And we, we're talking and he said, you have to realize and the short interaction you're going to have with people, you're not going to change them. You're not going to teach them. You're not going to teach them manners, you know, unless they, God forbid, like try some shit and salt you, whatever, then you can yeah. respond accordingly. But he's saying, you're not going to, the home training that missed them, they're not going to replenish it with, with you in that moment. Um, so, I mean, so like, and the other thing he said was take every picture, sign every autograph and you'll have an army of of fans that will follow you everywhere. And I think that that's also, uh, really very, very, very valuable, very wise, um, wisdom. And so that was the thing I guess I got was like, you know, I got what I got from Tony Andrew, thank God is still with us. And he himself is, uh, a continued source of inspiration, but also like admits to his own vulnerabilities and frailties and stuff. Yeah. And I think that what's cool is as I move into other fields, as now, like I say, food that built America is kicking my ass into creating mm-hmm. frozen food and creating sauces, that there are people in those spaces that have infinitely more experience than myself. And I, I feel like even in our relationship, like that there's a little bit of like a big brothery, father sonny thing and it's it's Mm -hmm. it's it's actually quite beautiful i think because it makes it seem less workish i don't know it makes it seem less um yeah i don't know the collaboration seems more organic yeah it seems like let's let's do this thing buddy 
<laughs> right, right. It's a, it's a, it's a lovely, it's a lovely feeling. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm super blessed. And, and that's, may I be quite honest. And I say this not because I'm drinking the company Kool-Aid. That's how, um, I sort of knew I was in a great place with history. Like mm-hmm. every show from the jump, from, uh, I worked with this really wonderful director in Thaddeus on season one of Food That Built America and worked with Joel Schneider and he on these other ones and uh, and the whole team. My God, there's too many people to even, uh, Roz, so many people. But, um, and, and, and even behind the scenes, makeup and camera and that. But like, there's this beautiful collegial energy, like the cameraman and like my director from, Adam Eats the 80s and Modern Marvels, I've known for a handful of time, like fraction of time mm-hmm. compared to other people in my life. And yet I was invited to his wedding. You know, I wasn't invited wow. to these other people's. Like we're that close. Yeah. And I think that, that there too, I think that there's a bit of even brotherly energy there. And ironically enough, that director and I uh, have begun like putting together, I want to write, as like uh, a Gettysburg. I don't know if it's, I don't think it's a movie. I think it's more of a TV show, mm-hmm. but yeah, we're, we're both like super, super, super into it. When we're not recording, I have to tell you, I have a really, really, I, I got him because of my montage of the way I wanted to cut the episode where Sickles decides to advance. Oh yeah. And and the moment he decides to, like it's everything, oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Up to and including. See, people who are not listening don't know that this man who killed the nephew of the composer of our national anthem <laughs> That's right. stabbed him to death in Lafayette Park. <laughs> and the first man cleared of murder by reason of temporary insanity bought his way into a generalship by breaking that upside down fish hook of internal lines. And that's the thing, right? Mm-hmm. This is supposedly you can get into a fight in any bar in Gettysburg. If you open the door and shout out sickles was right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And he was not right. <laughs> he was responsible for a lot of carnage on that battlefield, including losing his own leg. Yeah, yeah, which apparently is still in the museum because I know he visited the Bones every year. Yeah, that's a good question. I want to say that it's moved around quite a bit. It may still be at the Smithsonian. I got to double check on where it is, but I think you can still go see Sickles' amputated leg. (laughs) Unbelievable. But the irony is, though, he's the guy who had it made into a national park, though. There used to be, what is it, a dollar rent-a-car? Like, on the battlefield. Yeah, there was a Stuckey's uh, on the Pickett's Charge battlefield. (laughs) <laughs> incredible stuckies for real yeah there was a stuckies right in the middle with the gas station and everything the pecan logs and what happened right there on the no way. battlefield. yeah yeah incredible. yeah that was that was i was trying to describe it to someone and i was trying to say you know it's like a museum you drive through mm-hmm. but there were moments and i know that i met someone there who's wearing a history channel hat i said hey i work for history channel and he was one of the official guides and i realized i had watched him in two of the specials i had watched uh in advance of coming and i saw him right by devil's den and um i had 
hiked down from where Chamberlain was. Yeah. Uh, so I, I went straight down that that run down to Devil's Den, mm-hmm. and um, I he said, you know, we asked I asked him a couple of questions. He gave me his his info, but you know, he was like, "There's no ghost. There's no whatever." But whether or not that, I don't know. I felt, I felt on the covered bridge. Yep. I felt. I so again, maybe I tempted fate. But I laid uh, I laid down in the wheat field, and um, I played the song that the young boy sang on my phone. Oh man! And I laid down in the wheat field. This is probably means nothing to people that are not Gettysburg. I, you know what? I don't care because I'm into it. <laughs> and uh, it was it was Okami disconsolate was mm-hmm. the song, and. Uh, so I laid down in the wheat field, which was really very heavy. But what was crazy was right by the railroad cut. So I had met these guys uh, by, what is it? It's it's that big monument, that big tower monument. And it's where, um, who was the one they said was drunk? Um, whose men were cut down by the Union. They hid behind a wall and shot them all. Like what kind of standing where they were? Yeah. Um, oh my gosh, that's a good question. Uh, the The monument you're thinking of might be the Pennsylvania Monument, which is pretty tall and ornate, and that's oh. sort of right in the middle of the battlefield. But there were also those. Oh, I know which one you're talking about. No, yeah. no, no. Yeah. It's uh, it's like a long green. There's like um, like a lamp. Is it like a like an eternal lamp or something that's lit? Oh yeah, yeah. The eternal flame. Uh, the eternal. Yeah, I know. FDR dedicated that on the. Yes, yes, yeah, let's yes. Let's say the 75th so, anniversary. Yeah. Right, and so supposedly there was a. Um, let me see. I should open my podcasting. There was this one. <laughs> well, there was um, some fierce fighting up there on the first day, for sure. Yeah. There was this one. So I met this. I met these guys. They recognized me, and it was really cool. I don't know if it was like a guy strip or a bachelor thing, but one of their friends that they had hired a driver. Mm-hmm. They had a van. They were drinking, but one of their boys was like clearly really into it. He made them each a binder with like maps and this and that and the other. And he really knew his shit and he was guiding them and stuff. And we were talking and he just said, I was, um, he said something about, oh, I was just telling them about drunken whatever. And I can't remember. It was a Confederate officer who they, some of them are saying, oh, it's not true, but supposedly he marched it's where they thought it was haunted but it was actually just swamp gases or the gases from the no it was the right. gases from the bodies it was okay. the gases from the bodies that were interred escaping yeah. and people saw that and they thought it was who was it i can't i'm trying it, to think it was, was it iverson harry heath oh god i'm trying to think of um was it iverson that's it, it, entirely possible. Um, yeah, really good question. I would have to go look that up <laughs> because I'm I'm blanking on that particular story, but it sounds vaguely familiar. So I'm trying to trying to reach that cortex of my brain that stored that information. Crap. So like I love it, and I got I had we were filming Modern Marvels. Mm-hmm. Adam meets the '80s, and we were filming with 
the man who created um, Big League Chew. And I was explaining <laughs> to him that we, that my friend and I want to write this series and we've been going sketching it out. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to talk to him about like all these little things that happen, like how, like, I never knew about the street to street guerrilla fighting that happened through the town of Gettysburg. Oh, yeah. On the first day. Mm -hmm. And that you had the Undersecretary of War hiding under a pig trough, that you had people fighting through a home, like you had Confederates through the front door. Union retreating through the back door, the family in the cellar, and people fighting around corners and street to street. Like, no one tells you that. But then also going into how there were two brothers, you know, it was the Schwartz, and one was Confederate, one was fought for the Union. The Confederate one had been taken prisoner. His Mm -hmm. Union brother hugged him. He was then led away, and the Union brother got killed that day. And then even the charge of the Minnesota, like that story of the Minnesota, I mean, how they they essentially saved the war. I mean, they did. Yeah, the first Minnesota was immensely that pivotal. charge. Yeah, yeah, that charge out as outnumbered as they were to hit them that hard to buy the five minutes for Meade to fill his lines in again. But it's that's what I mean. Like it's so amazing, and then you go deeper. You're like Custer. Yes, that Custer mm-hmm. was at Gettysburg. Yep. And then I need to go back. I I still never went to the cavalry battlefield. That was what four miles away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. East Cavalry Field, I think, is what it's called. Yeah. And that was that's when Jeb Stewart got back from D.C., right? <laughs> right. And much to General Lee's chagrin. Yeah. Lee was not. And happy who with was that. the Union? Right. But that was the thing. It was like the Union firebrand cavalry guy versus Jeb Stewart. It was. And I, I'm trying to remember. He was the other hot young guy. And then there was fucking that idiot Kilpatrick. Yeah. Who they yeah. called Kill Cavalry. Mm hmm. Yeah, there was an unnecessary cavalry charge that took place after Pickett's charge that was a complete waste of time that occurred down in the base of Big Round Top. I think is yeah. that what you're talking about? Yeah, as they were as they were retreating to Maryland. Yeah, exactly. As they were as they were retreating to what is it? Uh not Gaithersburg. Where were they going to? Is it Gaithersburg? Uh maybe uh, as they were heading south, maybe they're heading to Emmitsburg. Oh, so they yeah, I remember it was as they were retreating. Mm-hmm. And then the cavalry commander who famously like slashed that rock with his saber and he died with his saber up. He said, these are fences. There are rocks. This is not where you want cavalry. Mm -hmm. And he said, the only terrain that cavalry can't be on is underwater. Right. (laughs) Go cavalry. (laughs) Exactly. But yeah. And you know, the the tourism of that battlefield too is utterly fascinating. That's a whole separate story that uh, I'm just uh, utterly into. I mean, the forensic analysis of where the electric train went through the battlefield and across a little round top, all that stuff is just uh, the entire history of the battlefield since the battle has been uh, not as compelling as the battle itself, but almost as compelling. Very interesting stuff. Oh man. So Adam, Thank you so much. Yes. You're absolutely the best. Uh, thank you for being so incredibly generous with your time, too. I know you're super, no, super busy. No, thank you. With- you're a delight to talk to. Hope we could, like, 
do it over a beer or something or go to a battlefield or go to that barn. I'm 100% into it. Okay. All righty. I got links in the description for all of your stuff, all of your socials, and uh, I'm really looking forward to doing this again, mainly because I never got to ask you about the Ghost Chili episode, which was absolutely okay, legendary. Let's do it again. <laughs> okay, my friend. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Take care, brother. You bet. Bye-bye.